0: Do you own or rent your home? Sure, you do. Fortunately, Geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. It's a good thing, too, because having a home is hard work. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. Geico.com. Easy. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. What Krista is Steven singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring, a bright white, 100% eye flawless near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven singer. Isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only 31 98 real jewelry. Doesn't have to be expensive plus free shipping and 12 months interest free financing. Steven showroom is open by appointment only or go now to I and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com.
1: Welcome
0: to Something
1: you to Wrestle with. to Wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Pritchard? Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What <laughs> a rib. No, you have a There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. Ooh. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. <laughs> and, and, and was he there? I was there. I, the I don't give a shit. <laughs> I scared, shit. I ain't scared I ain't scared of shit. I kill Q, Bruce. I you, Bruce.
0: Ah, look. you. Me. take the cheese. You cheeseburger. You take
1: the grain. Double cheese. You know.
0: And then double mail, You know. It's called chicken salad. Double onion, motherfucker. Mother You're mother. mother. nothing but an egg-sucking dog. Oh, they're on your Google machine. Goddamn, kid. Goddamn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. <sighs> something to wrestle with con
1: Bruce Richard eek the second most record now in the
0: entire world today Conrad Holmes said what happened when huh? what would Vince say about that well hey Vince tell me yeah push your arms a good night yeah So are so big us yeah. go. bullshit welcome to Wrestle Something to wrestle with something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard Hey hey it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to Something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard Bruce what's going on man how are you It's kizzled Well It's actually not that cold here in Alabama you should have uh, stayed in the south my friend
1: Well I came home last night it was 21 degrees degrees i tell you it was in the 60s here today well it was 60 in my house because there's like the timer on the thermostat gimmick
0: Mm. can't hide money
1: so like well apparently you you motherfuckers uh anyway didn't work it's bullshit
0: you got ripped off
1: I don't know if I did or not, or if just people don't
0: know how to set the fucking gimmick, right? Well, hopefully people know to hit this gimmick to subscribe and, uh, you'll get your gimmick right every week. Uh, we were a day late last week with Eddie Guerrero, but man, I had really good feedback, a lot of hardcore Eddie Guerrero fans listen to this show. And that's probably not a surprise.
1: Well, and Eddie Guerrero is my man. So that was, you know what I surprisingly made it through. That, uh, and I didn't think it would be as easy as it was.
0: I'm glad that we got to do it. We've wanted to do it for a long time today. It's talking about one of my other favorite topics, the WWF in 1995. Of course it is survivor series season. Of course, uh, in current day, 2020, we're going to see survivor series this weekend. It's the 30 year anniversary of the undertaker debuting. Before we talk about this show, Bruce, can you believe it's been 30 years? I mean, you know, if you had to go back and relive one of your moments as brother love, this might not be the top one, but gosh, as far as history, it's gotta be somewhere in the conversation, right? You introduced the most legendary character in history to the WWE universe.
1: Think about the date, November 22nd, November 22nd, 1963. My wife, Stephanie was born. November 22nd, 1963, historical point in America, my wife was born. Um, We had the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and then The Undertaker debuts. And I got to walk about, and I would say that that's probably the top one or two uh, moments in my career.
0: Yeah. It's I uh, I didn't realize it was Stephanie's birthday too. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, a lot of good stuff has happened to you on November hey, 22nd. If you
1: want to, you can send me cash right? and I'll make sure she gets it.
0: Sure. The check the is in the guy. Moment. I am. I can always count on you. We'll tune into, uh, the WWE network this Sunday, watch survivor series. You ain't got nothing else to do. And then right after there's another broken skull session. Uh, I know, uh, I, this is not a commercial. I just really enjoy Steve's deep dives when he's catching up with one of his buds and he's doing uh second round with the undertaker. Did you see the first one yet?
1: Yes, I did. And, uh, also on the network, uh, I, I make a, I make an appearance on the bump. Wait, on are, Sunday.
0: Is this real? This is real. Well, how about scary, that? huh? You know, it wasn't that long ago. It felt like they were doing everything to keep you off the network. Now your ass is on every program looking real sleepy and tired and stressed. But I'm not sleepy, tired, and stressed. I'm just, I'm just sleepy. I love that. You kind of look at me. Our listeners can't see it, but you're not even looking at me. And I say that and you look at me like the undertaker, like motherfucker. What'd you say? That's because I'm not stressed, sleepy, or tired. Well, good. I'm glad you're well rested and fired up and ready to talk about (laughs) the 1995 Survivor Series. It happened, believe it or not, 25 years ago yesterday, the US Air Arena in Landover, Maryland. There's a crowd of 14,500 fans, which is a little more than three quarters full. The rumor in innuendo is that about twelve and a half thousand fans paid to attend the show. So those are the 2000 were comps. The gate is estimated at 250 grand. Listen, I know this is not quite the numbers you're going to pull on pay-per-view in three or four years. You're going to be seeing, you know, more six, seven, eight, $900,000 gates. But, uh, 12,000 fans. Over 12,000 for a quarter million bucks. That's, uh, that's big money in 95, right?
1: I'll take it. Shit. Why not?
0: Probably one of the bigger houses this year too. Uh, this was the, uh, first of three survivor series sponsored by Milton Bradley karate fighters. The company would actually hold little tournaments leading up to the event where superstars battled with the toys which is basically a, an action figure attached to a mechanical device that lets you swing them around, making their arms and legs flail about, uh, I guess you could call it very generously a kick or a punch, but there is, uh, some fun little moments that happen in, in these. We even see Jerry Lawler taking on Vince McMahon. This karate fighters sponsorship had to be a pretty penny for you guys to integrate it into your content this well. Right?
1: Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Ding, 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 ding.
0: What? How big of a deal was the partnership with karate fighters when somebody comes to you and says, I don't just want to run a commercial. I want to run a sponsored element. I want the superstars to participate. And they don't just get superstars. They get the owner. They get the boss. They get Vince McMahon. Yeah, you tell us but
1: them? to them it was the play by play guy. Right. On TV. So it it was it was still good because that was the guy that people invited into their homes every weekend and later on every Monday night and what have you to bring them the WWE and all of its glory. So the the integration, man, it, it's always been something that the WWE could offer that a lot of other people. So, for example, if you wanted to advertise on Seinfeld. It's. Highly unlikely that they're going to incorporate the product into the programming and have, you know, George and Jerry actually have Kung Fu fighters or karate fighters, but we were able to actually put it into the programming and make it timely in a timely kind
0: of way. This had to be a success for Milton Bradley for them to come back three years in a row. I mean, this is a partnership that I don't think it's talked about a lot. I mean, we've, We've all known that you guys had a big Stridex sponsorship. You've had the huge sponsorship over the years from Slim Jim on the WCW programming, but this one feels like a big one that was integrated as well. Uh, why ultimately did, I mean, just talk us through the partnership a little more, if you can, as far as, you know, why more folks didn't do this or why they felt it was going to work. I mean, they clearly continued. I'm just fascinated by it. And I think the first time I saw something like this is when they, sort of shamelessly plugged stuff in Wayne's world. Do you remember that scene
1: where oh, he's absolutely! opening and the
0: pizza hut box real slow?
1: Yeah. And I think that in a lot of ways, a lot of, uh, programming stole from us because, and for us being able to integrate it live in our programming and being able to do things on the spot, so much television is shot in advance and, and sitcoms and whatever sports programming allows you to do that. And we definitely allowed you to do that because, and we, and we could put it into storyline and have a lot more fun with it. than I think that most people either didn't want to do or didn't know how to do.
0: Well, it was really remarkable. And I can't tell you how many people listening to this, remember those commercials and probably as a result, a lot of your younger listeners probably actually got this as a present from their parents. Uh I hope
1: so they were pretty damn cool. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've still got a pair of karate fighters somewhere in my office in there, because I'm a karate man. Well, these three, ha- three time, three time, three time, three time, three time, three time, black belt hall of fame.
0: Three donations, three checks, three donations, three PayPal's.
1: I didn't pay shit. Oh really? Oh really? Yeah.
0: Come on, Bruce.
1: The first person ever to be inducted in the Black Belt Hall of Fame wasn't a black belt when I was my first induction. <laughs> the only three times, soon to be four time inductee into the Black Belt Hall of Fame. So, Bill Gray, uh, get that fourth, get that fourth one coming my way soon. That's Bill Gray with the American Society of Karate. He listens to our podcast every single week, and every single week he says the same thing to me. He says, "Boy, you and Conrad, y'all do that podcast. Y'all, y'all seem like y'all just go together real well. Y'all just talk on there and everything." I said, "Well, Bill, that's kind of what a podcast is."
0: And now he's going to decide if you're in the Karate Black Belt Hall of Fame for not once. Black Belt Hall of Fame, yes. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Four times.
1: Four times, a record-setting four times. I was in the black belt hall of fame before it was cool to be in the black belt hall of fame. Now that I'm in it three times now, it's ultra cool.
0: hypothetically, you know, listen, we've got a lot of listeners who are social distancing right now, but they're looking for things to do. People could jump in their car and go visit this hall of fame. Give them the address. Tell them how to get there. I don't have to do that. Conrad. Well, I want people to be able to pay homage. We could get like a Twitter campaign, you know, hashtag.
1: let Let me just say, let me just say this. A huge mega superstar right, was in my home last week. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah. And the very first thing (laughs) now he knows who he is. Uh, very first thing he wanted to see was, uh, my black belt hall of fame plaques.
0: And did you have to smarten him up? This is all a bit on the show. I showed
1: him my black belt hall of fame plaques.
0: Is it still off route nine there? Yeah.
1: We're down by the Fernum. Yeah. Across from the snakes.
0: I remember that. Go
1: Appicasis on the Fernum, and then around you take that U-turn by the tree.
0: Okay. Don't go in the first driveway. Oh, no. The fourth. Don't go to the last house on the right though.
1: No, nah, because the further down that street you went, the battery. That street, I don't know what I'm doing right. Now. You're not
0: sleepy. You're tired. You have picked up some gas station counter help. I can tell. Man, Christmas is going to be here before you know it, and unfortunately, that's going to be extra stress this year with lots of added expenses. Of course, you got to do your holiday shopping, but there's probably going to be some travel involved. Uh, it's just been a tough year, but I want to make this the best Christmas ever. And listen, you may have tried to do this in the past, but what you wound up with was a big credit card bill and a new year's resolution to get out of debt and actually start saving money. Why do we wait until next year to do that? Here's a pro tip for you. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Go to save with conrad.com right now. We're going to show you how to skip your single biggest bill for the next two months, if you haven't already, you don't have to make your November or your December payment you're done until next year. And next year, of course, you're going to start the new year with no, you hear me, no credit card debt. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get rid of all their credit card debt, but take advantage of these great rates while we've still got them. You can pay your house off faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments, but maybe best of all, get the cash you need just in time for the holidays. Don't start 2021 off on the wrong foot where you feel like you're digging yourself out of a hole. Historically, most American families dig themselves into credit card debt that it takes months to dig out of all from Christmas shopping. Don't do that. There's a better way. Skip your next two house payments, get a better interest rate, lower your monthly payments and get rid of your credit card debt just like that at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Whether you own or rent Geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance, go to geico.com today. Uh, reports are that this is the least bought survivor series pay-per-view ever, at least at this point, there's only 140,000 households buying the event. This was the first year of monthly pay-per-views with the whole in your house concept. And, uh, well, they barely reached hundred thousand buys. And here's the thing in your house. Five was only 80,000. So on the one hand, it's a high five, you know, maybe it's not a sellout, but we've got 12,000 paying fans here on the other. We're seeing our pay-per-views start to really slip a notch or two. What's what's Vince thinking here. We know what the result is going to be at the end of the night. We're going to switch champions. Is that something that Vince had already decided like, well, in advance, we recently talked about the finish of the pay-per-view prior. Um, just chat me up about you know how we got here. Well, I
1: think that overall business was down everywhere and this was a period where a lot of the things, you know, it was the new, you know, WWF the new generation and You know, we, I think were a lot of things other than new at the time. And it was, it was challenging to say the least. I think that the talent felt the talent felt tired and old. I think that there were a lot of things that were just not clicking and not, not working at the time. And it was coming off of, you know, you're, you're coming out of, a period of the trial and you're, you're now back in and just, you know, things were the shits. That's the best I can say about it. Things were the shits.
0: At this time, is this the era where we would hear that famous Lisa Wolf line? You know, Vince is just looking for a hit. Did he feel like he had a plan? I mean, listen, one of the things we've heard about Vince over the years is he don't sell nothing. I don't know him. You know him. Could you was he selling it here that goddamn it business is down and I can't put my finger on why not? Or why rather? Well, I think that from the
1: standpoint of trying to, you know, figure out the audience, and part of the frustration is there wasn't a lot of audience to figure out. And I, I always laugh at it people that will talk about, you know, Vince being out of touch and Vince not being able to do, you know, have that golden touch. 1987, when I started there, I was told that. The, the very first day that I went to TV, it's like, ah, the old man's out of touch. Uh, later on, you know, it, it seemed like every couple of years, it's eyes out of touch. And yet, he's always able to recover. And there are times, I think, with everybody that you go through periods where, for whatever reason, Things are off and things are askew. And this was one of those times that you, you have a choice. You can either stay there and waller in it or work through it and make the best of it. So it's he's just that kind of guy that, no, he's not going to sell it because he knows that he's going to work through it and figure out how to get out of it.
0: Well, listen, I beat up on you a little bit about the low buy rate and how the pay-per-views were down. And this one was not good. Lowest purchase to ever, but this is the first time ever that it doesn't happen on Thanksgiving. You go back to 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, 93. It's always Thanksgiving or at least Thanksgiving Eve, right? The this
1: Thanksgiving w- Eve tradition teams of five strive to survive
0: but this one's on a Sunday night and it's the first one. And I know historically the company liked to hold their pay-per-views on Sunday, but do you think moving it from Thanksgiving Eve or Thanksgiving to Sunday night had an impact and hurt your boss?
1: Initially, I think that people are creatures of habit and those that were into the survivor series were probably thinking that they're going to have their time with the family on Thanksgiving night and they're going to settle by the fire And watch survivor series. Um, but at the same time, the, 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 the short answer to the question is, yes, I do think it hurt because a Sunday night after Thanksgiving, people are going home.
0: Yeah. They're traveling home.
1: They're traveling. And that's one of the reasons that it's like, okay, well, let's look at doing it the Sunday before and and be as close to that weekend as we can without being that weekend when there's so many things happening from Thanksgiving to black Friday, um, and then travel that that's just, you're, you're fighting it. So it was trial and error for us and, and trying something different, trying something new. And I think that we kind of settled on later on, well, let's be before Thanksgiving a little bit better.
0: Let's talk about something that might've made this show a little bit better. I can't believe this is real. This is right out of the observer. A name who met with Titan this past week, November 20th was Cactus Jack. Jack, who has just moved from New York to Atlanta, was thought due to his look and style to be a wrestler that WWF would never be interested in. But times have changed. He was said to be very close to going with some saying it could be shortly after Royal Rumble. Heyman supposedly told the WWF officials, which have been attempting to make friends rather than enemies that he didn't want to lose Jack until he could properly finish up this current program, which it's, which he said would be April of 1996. And the WWF said they were in no hurry to bring him in. The WWF is also looking at ECW as a place where they can send their own wrestlers to get work next year. Since they aren't going to be running as many house shows and guys are already complaining about not getting enough dates. Jack is longtime good friends with Troy Martin, aka the WWF's Dean Douglas, who is well known to be unhappy with his situation in Titan, which may prove to be a factor as well. A lot to unpack here, I guess to provide some context. Uh WCW and Cactus Jack have parted ways. Cactus is now at this point either number one or number two probably as far as an indie draw. And he is one of the featured performers for Paul Heyman's extreme championship wrestling, which really started to take shape in 94. But most people think 95 was probably their best year creatively. And cactus Jack is right in the middle of all that and showed America. He could do a totally different style promo than what we had seen. Maybe in Dallas or Atlanta, Jr has been a big proponent of this over the years. He's told us that eventually Vince would acquiesce to his push to sign Mick Foley. But he, I think you told us on the show, he really wanted him to wear a mask. And I think it was almost said maybe tongue in cheek that Vince, uh, allegedly told Jr. I'm going to let you hire this guy. So you know what it likes to get your heart broken because he just had no confidence in him. And of course we know right after WrestleMania 12, he's going to set the woods on fire as mankind. And he's off to the races and becomes a bona fide hall of famer in, in anybody's hall of fame. Tell us about Cactus Jack's meeting here, November 20th, probably the first time he's ever met with Vince, right?
1: As a matter of fact, it was, there was one other close encounter that didn't happen at LaGuardia airport one time. Um, but Jack did not get an opportunity to meet Vince on that day. The, you know, is, We were looking for people to to come in, and Cactus was one of those guys that both, you know, Jr. and I liked an awful lot. And sometimes how you push someone and insist, you know, uh, that you got to hire this person for whatever reason, I, I think that that can hamper someone sometime in that you have a preconceived notion or preconceived idea based on whoever it is that's putting them in front of you. So with, with cactus, Vince saw the guy from WCW that did a lot of crazy things, things that Vince thought were too dangerous. And then several years later, agreed to let him take that bump off the cell, not the one through the cell, but the one um, uh, onto the announce table.
0: Hey, before you move and, on, well, do you remember what bump really stood out to Vince? I think the one that a lot of people took, there was the whole match with Vader at Halloween havoc. Yeah. When he
1: pulled the, where he pulled the, 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 the mats up and took that bump onto the concrete. Okay. So that
0: was on the TV. I wanted to know if it was that, or perhaps that mill Mascaris thing from clash of the champions, where he did a flat back on the concrete off of the apron.
1: I, it was a lot of that and, and you know, Cornette was also high on cactus at the time too. Sure. And you have to, again, you have to look at how you sell someone, know your audience where Vince wasn't into the gourd. Vince wasn't into some of those crazy bumps. Don't sell that part. Sell the part of the, you know, the intelligent and, um, psychology of, Cactus and what he did and the human Being behind that Mick Foley And I didn't know Mick uh, Personally I, I had met him before And talked to him I was a big fan of his work But everyone that I knew that did know Mick spoke Very highly of Mick Foley and Just what a wonderful human being That there was behind that Character so It's You sell the human being And the rest will come and also during this time, Jack was doing a, uh, character in ECW that he was anti-hardcore or he was hardcore and he was the, the stuff that I loved and that I was able to show Vince a different side of cactus was he was writing the merry-go-round with his daughter and Channing. I'm hardcore, I'm hardcore, and then riding around in the little train in the amusement park. (laughs) I'm hardcore, I'm hardcore, and sitting in a side headlock for 15 minutes in a match and chanting, I'm hardcore. And he was the antithesis of everything that ECW stood for. So it was brilliant. It was brilliant on Paul's part, it was brilliant on Mick's part. That character and that build of Cactus Jack. So when Vince saw that dimension, he saw, Oh, well, wait a minute. This is, this is some entertaining stuff. The guy doesn't have to yell and scream. He wasn't doing his Cactus Jack bang, bang, you know, Terry Funk impersonation. And he was being Mick Foley and telling us a story that people could relate to. So getting, getting Mick in, and I think that Jr. and I were both extremely confident that once Mick Foley got in a room with Vince McMahon and was able to sit down with him and they were able to have a conversation, that was all that we had to do. We just needed to get them in a room. And we finally
0: did. If you're like most people, you have a balance on your credit cards and a higher rate of interest than you would like. Why not turn some of those balances into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate and start saving money. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.95% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. The rate is fixed, so it will never go up over the life of the loan. The application is 100% online and you don't even need to leave the house to apply. You can get a loan from 5,000 dollars to $100,000 and there's absolutely no fees. You can even get your funds as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. And I got to tell you, that has been my experience with Lightstream. I've told the story a thousand times, but it bears repeating. I got the best car deal I ever had from lightstream.com. I found the car I wanted, but it wasn't near me, and I didn't want to go through the hassle of letting the dealer finance me. I know how that works. They're going to try to jack my rate up and Try to sell me on payment. I wanted the best rate I could get. I had a good credit score. And to my surprise, this was way easier than I ever imagined. I applied online. They overnighted me the check. I was able to shop like a cash buyer. And when it was all said and done, I got the car I wanted. And at a rate I never thought was possible. That's my personal experience with Lightstream, And if you're in a similar situation with credit card debt right now, where you're looking for a way out of some of those minimum payments, and maybe you realize it's time to get a lower rate. I recommend LightStream. My listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount. Now, the only way to get the discount is to go to lightstream.com wrestle. That's L I G H T S T R E A M.com wrestle. Of course, this is subject to credit approval rate includes a half a percent auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. Do you remember Vince's takeaway after the meeting? I'm sure you've seen the look on Vince's face after you meet with a talent for the first time and you can just tell, oh, that didn't go well or holy shit. Vince loved this guy.
1: Well, uh, I wasn't in the meeting with, with Mick and Vince, but Vince's reaction after the meeting, when he comes out and he starts pitching ideas right away. That's a good sign. Right. So, and and that's exactly what he did. Vince came out and had this mankind image in his head and thought that old Mike Foley would, uh, be (laughs) able to pull it off.
0: (laughs) Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about a show that happened on November 6th. South Bend, Indiana, 2,200 fans there. Check this card out. Savio Vega over. Jean Pierre Lafitte, aka the Pirate, Fatu over the Brooklyn Brawler, Gold Dust over uh, Marty Jannetty, Avatar over Rad Radford, Bob Backlund over Bob Holly, a slot match with Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Henry Godwin, Isaac Yankum over Bam Bam Bigelow, and the Intercontinental Title was on the line with One Two Three Kid as a referee with Razor Ramon who beat Owen Hart. And then check out this main event on the bad guy side, Mabel, Davey, boy, Smith, and Yoko Zuna, our baby faces, diesel, Brett, and Sean. This is like, when you go back and look at it, knowing what you know, now, one of the more interest, I mean, this is just WWF and 95, but my goodness, knowing, you know, sort of the end of all their stories, this is a, a, a loaded roster, no matter what anybody says.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely was. And it's interesting as you look at that card, <laughs> the threesome of Diesel, Sean, and Brett, a little is that, bit interesting. Does that stand out or what? It, it does. It, it kind of stands out like a sore thumb. And and I think that to me, probably the other thing that stands out on this card is Razor and Owen instead of Owen, Davey Boy, and Yoko. It's just that that's weird as well.
0: Well, and how about Isaac Yankum, who's gonna go on to be Kane? I know forget for a minute that he's Isaac Yankum. Uh Kane versus Bam Bam Bigelow. I, I would have never even guessed that happened, but it did. And how about Avatar, Rad Radford? That's Al avatar. Snow and Lewis Bacoli. Holy shit, man. You're a avatar
1: lo-
0: <laughs> You got a lot of great talent here. You do? Yeah. Fatu and Brooklyn brawler. I'm just saying Fatu is going to go on to be a big star and everybody knows that Brooklyn brawler was money. Everybody knows that everybody knows the rules. A story in the observer, uh, about the Hart family, uh, is going to be published here. Uh, they're inviting hall of fame type wrestlers from the WWF WCW like and cauliflower alley who worked in the stampede wrestling territory to be a part of their December 15th show in Calgary. They're trying to get in touch with old headliners. You know, they want Harley race and Dory funk and the Tolos brothers and Luthes. They've also got uh razor versus Davey Brett versus Sean one, two, three kid versus Owen. And they might even have Benoit versus Dean Douglas. And they're hoping to do something with Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman together. It's pretty remarkable what they were putting together here, sort of, uh, yeah, and it's weird to see WWF talent and WCW talent all coming together. Stu Hart carried that much respect, huh?
1: Yeah, he did. And and I think that this was one of those situations where we're willing to work with anybody for, you know, the, the greater good. I liken this card to what Vince did for Paul Bosch in 1987 in Houston, bringing in Vern and bringing in Stu and Helen and Moskris and, Mark Lewin and the like to come in and honor Paul Bosch. This was an opportunity to honor Stu Hart. And these were the guys that meant something to Stu and meant something to Calgary Wrestling. And I look at the the lineup and man, as a kid, I was scared to death of the Mongolian stomper Archie Goldie. But when I go back and watch from that time period and even especially, uh, Calgary. Wow. Um, Stomper was a little rough to watch (laughs) in later years, man. It's like, holy shit. That was bad, but a great guy.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about something else. Uh, the WWF is blowing away WCW on promotion uh, of the women. Uh, with the video features talking about all the women coming in, showing who they are and their finishing maneuvers. WCW's Gene Okerlund, on the other hand, whenever he's mentioning one of the names coming to WCW, he would say, boy, that sounds like something on the menu at a sushi bar. Boy, that didn't age well. Uh, You guys are trying to make a push here for women's wrestling, uh, although we know that that's going to end not too terribly long from now when Medusa pops back up for WCW. Why, why was the women's division, you know, dwindling here? Clearly you're trying to dedicate some TV time to it. It doesn't seem to be hitting. Is there just not enough talent at the time?
1: Yeah, there wasn't. And that's always been a challenge. I think that when you look at different divisions and, and while there may be some great light heavyweights, well, there may not be enough for a division. There may be some great women wrestlers. But they didn't there weren't enough to have an entire, you know, roster of, of women wrestlers at the time. So also, I don't think that the, the audience was ready to accept that. You, you didn't have the caliber of athlete that came along in 2015 and, and has exploded and made it, you know like, Hey, as far as I'm concerned, they're 50% of the show and sometimes the better 50% of the show. So it's, um, wasn't that way back then.
0: Yeah. in this era the idea that you had two ladies main eventing, like Sasha and Bailey have so many times this year uh, that just feels foreign, Uh, but here's, what's interesting about this. And man, I hate to beat a dead horse about just the, the status of the company financially, but Meltzer's here in November, really putting you over for how well you're pushing all the new talent coming into the promotion with video packages, explaining who they are. So it sounds like you've got big plans with international talent.
1: We, and again, we were trying, and we, we were trying to push that. And we had Alundra Lundra is the centerpiece. Well, but here's my
0: thing. This is in November, a month later, you cut her loose and say, we're closing down the division. You're done a month later. So I guess my question is, is that a decision to do in hindsight? Maybe you didn't recognize it at the time, but is that a decision to get rid of the women's division? Once you see the survivor series 95 buy rate, like if it was higher, would you have said, okay, we've got the finances coming in. You know, this was a better number than we thought, so we can keep it in the budget. But when it comes in low, do you then make a budget cut?
1: I don't, I, I don't think that had anything to do with it. I really don't. I think it was more a a situation of kind of looking at it and trying to evaluate it and wonder if there was that much interest and you have to look at a lot of different things. You got to look at merchandise. You've got to look at just fan reaction. And unfortunately at the time, some had to be cut. Let's, uh, it's it's never easy to cut, you know, it's never easy to make those
0: decisions. No, you and I have both unfortunately had to let someone go before. And that's not fun. Sucks. Um, let's talk about something else that stood out in my research here. Vince McMahon attended house shows here in Cincinnati, Columbus, and the Meadowlands. And, uh, I think Meltzer would say he usually only attended Madison square garden. Any ideas while Vince showed up to the house show? Is this one of those moments where he calls the click or the click calls him and he comes in, or is he just doing a pop in or was it planned that he would make the loop to see maybe what he could do to improve it?
1: And so Meltzer was doing Vince's uh, personal calendar at this time. So he knows that the only shows Vince only attends are Madison square garden.
0: So you normally he was normally on the house show loop? I didn't know that. He went to a lot of house shows. I mean I, I legitimately didn't know that. I'm not no, being a smart I, ass. Yes,
1: he did. I mean it's he's a businessman. He goes out to to view the product and see how everything's going. So yeah, Vince went to quite a few live events. So, well that's it's nothing unusual it just happened to be whatever uh liar I mean Stooge or whatever uh fan might have seen Vince McMahon that was bought a ticket for the uh mezzanine section and saw Vince watching the matches and called Dave Meltzer and said oh my God Vince isn't a, this, he's here and it's not Madison Square Garden and they made a lie I mean a story out of it
0: help me understand talk to me a little bit about when that Indianapolis meeting happened, you know, it's, we haven't touched on it a lot, but it does feel like something that we should mention because in this era, we've got Hunter coming in, but it's not going to be too long. Sean and razor are going to be out. Is this still sort of the, the click era? Does it feel like they've got Vince's ear and whether it's true or not, there is perceived heat amongst the boys.
1: Oh, I think that this was definitely during a time that there was the, you know, the click and those guys running together and, and hanging out together. Um, yeah, definitely. This was during that time.
0: I just assume that, 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 meeting in Indianapolis had to happen sometime in 95. I um, have
1: no, I, I have absolutely no idea. And again, that's, you know, for, for Vince to go to live events. Not unusual. And there were times where we would go in early to TV and we would hit live events.
0: It's it, business. What's Vince looking for when he visits a live event? How is it different from a traditional live event? Are people just minding their Ps and Q's a little more? Does he hold a meeting to rally the troops? Does he sit in the back? Does he try to hide in the stands? What's the No,
1: he goes in and and does business. He goes in and talks to talent. He goes in and watches the show wanting to see how, you know, when the only thing that you see is the television product and you're not able to go out and see the live events that you're selling off of that television product, there was a difference in the presentation. You don't have all the bells and whistles that you have at television. So you want to go and look at what you're presenting to that audience that's buying tickets for it and see, well, shit, what can we do better to deliver better product to the live events? How can we make this experience closer to what we're presenting to them on TV? And that's all. You you go out and just try to make everything better as best you can.
0: The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent, full, one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only $31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive, plus free shipping and 12 months interest free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only. Or go now to ihateStevensinger.com and click on the Krista Ready for Love engagement ring. Steven Singer Jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's IHateStevensinger.com. Whether you rent or own, Geico makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Having a home is hard work. So get a quote at Geico.com. Easy. There's a lot of unhappiness amongst the wrestlers about not getting enough dates. This is directly from The Observer. Bam Bam is almost certainly going to New Japan and depending on his bookings there will either work wwf in between his japanese commitments or leave the company jean pierre lafitte Kama, and bob holly also complained about not getting enough bookings although none actually gave notice we know bam bam's going to finish up here at survivor series and never be back with the company Uh, it's pretty well documented now that the pirate had issues with the click Uh, not sure about the others but uh of course we know Bob Holly even wrote about some dustups in his book with the click, how much of this is, uh, do you chalk up to just backstage politics? And how much of it is just the nature of the business in 95 when, you know, bam, bam, Bigelow is not happy with his number of dates, AKA I'm not making enough, he's going to finish up here at survivor series. And I think a lot of people who are big Bam Bam fans would like to have seen them stuck around a little longer for more of this attitude era stuff that's on the horizon.
1: I think all of it boils down to your paycheck. And if there's not enough bookings and there's not enough business to support that, that affects the bottom line. It affects the company's bottom line. It affects the talent's bottom line. So when talent are not making what they feel they should make and business is not up, enough to do that, where you're not running as many live events and you're not putting as many people on cards. Sure. That, that affects it, but it all boils down to that bottom line and whether or not they're making the type of money they feel they
0: deserve. Let's, uh, let's talk about Bam Bam for a minute. You know, when he, when he leaves here, I mean, is there any concern in this era? I mean, you're not too far removed. From Nitro, just to give everybody context, Nitro has been around a few months. The very first show you had a guy up and leave and show up on the other show, Lex Luger, and it was a surprise to everyone. You guys included. Was there any concern about Bam Bam doing the same or had you already decided it can't hurt us? What does it matter? Or is it more about business? Who cares about theirs? we got to worry about ours.
1: Well, I think that there was definitely an eye on WCW and what they were doing going head to head with Nitro. So there was an eye on it at this time without a doubt. However, as far as talent being unhappy, you do have to look at a happy locker room and you have to look at what's best for business at the time and put your head down and take care of your business
0: in front of you.
1: So bam, bam going there. I don't know that that was that much of a concern, frankly
0: lonesome dove is going to start airing episodes in late november that include bret hart uh, i think lonesome dove was originally a book and they turned it into a miniseries, series and uh, it was broadcast for, on cbs in like 89 but it did so well there that they decided to turn it into a full-blown tv series they had 21 episodes before ultimately they pulled the plug on it and bret hart was in a couple of episodes as luther root And he wrote in his book that he had such fun doing this, that he planned to make a career out of this. Uh, But then he learned at WrestleMania 12 that this show was finished and no more lonesome dove. Is this sort of everybody's end game? I mean, is this the Ventura effect, the Hogan effect? It does feel like, you know, that was a path that was already decided. Maybe Piper, I mean, I guess Hogan was first maybe. And then Piper. Terry Funk had some along the way. There was a formula, get over in wrestling and then try to get over in Hollywood. Well, I think if you're a performer, you want to perform. And as a performer
1: that takes bumps and has all that wear and tear on their body every single night, that after a while you realize that you've only got so many bumps left and you're looking for an outlet to perform and continue to do what you do and natural extension of everything that we do is Hollywood, whether it be TV or the movies. And Brett had an opportunity to be on this series. And I think that I will say Lonesome Dove and Brett Hart, that this was probably the best foray into television and movies for Brett. I thought this character was Brett and he did a damn good job on it. I, the rest of his stuff, I can't say that I really saw all that much of, but I thought Lonesome Dove and Bret Hart really
0: fit. Around the same time you had diesel on lifestyles of the rich and famous for whatever reason, you guys did a lot with that show over the years and Robin Leach with the million dollar man is something I'll probably never forget. How did that whole relationship form and why diesel?
1: Well, because Diesel was the WWE champion at the time. So if you're you're looking for that, I think that Diesel was a natural selection for them. And Robin Leach, when Robin Leach came to the company in 1988 for WrestleMania four to be the uh, presenter of the championship at the end of the tournament, Robin kind of looked around and was absolutely enthralled with our business. He was intrigued. He thought it was uh, over the top, spectacular. He loved the characters. And the first one that he did with us, you know, they always wanted to do one with Vince. So the closest they got to that was the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. And when Leach met Ted and Ted, you know, got into Ted's character, he loved it he absolutely loved it. it. It fit everything that the lifestyles of, of the rich and famous was all about leech being a character like larger than life characters. So it was a natural and we became friends and there was a synergy there with the two.
0: Let's, uh, let's keep going here. Let's talk about uh, something else on the observer, which I think is sort of fun. Cause I don't think we've talked about this type of stuff before. Meltzer would write: The WWF is instituting a three saves rule in tag matches, which they got over on a weekend television match with the Guns over Kid and Ramon by DQ when Ramon made a fourth save. I really like this. Why don't Why don't you think that this became a thing that people still enforce? Because it happens all the time now.
1: You know it's. I don't know. I think that with wrestling, sometimes people like to suspend their disbelief and also suspend reality in the way that it's okay not to have rules, I guess. Right. Um, you know, there actually was a rule
0: book for the NWA, for the NWA back yeah, in the day. I have it. So,
1: yeah. And so when you, you look at some of those things and then you look at the, you know, probably one more reason why Tennessee and, and, places like that didn't use the champion as much because it was the wild wild West and they did everything and you know nothing really meant anything um, so their their audience had already been trained and educated that anything goes in a lot of respects. So then when you institute rules to some audiences, that slows things down. And it, it just takes away from it. I think if you do it correctly, that it can enhance a match. And if you have heels that actually cheat and try to work around the referee, that that could enhance things. And that was the idea behind it. If you have a rule to break, it's more important than not having any rules at all, you have a rule to break and you break it behind the referees back. It means something.
0: Well, I love it. And, uh, I wish it was a thing again. Meltzer would write, Aldo Montoya was told they're going to take the mask off him, do his hair differently, and give him a new character. It always felt like you guys planned to do more with Aldo. He comes in with a big pyro show, but pretty quickly, uh, he starts getting buried on TV wearing that stupid jock strap. We know he's gonna go on to become just incredible, an ECW world champion. So he had a nice run somewhere else and then came back a little bit. But Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese man of war, I think, uh Somebody in the promotion used to call him Seinfeld.
1: That was exactly how he was first introduced Jerry Lawler running around Lowell, Massachusetts going, there's a guy here. He looks just like Jerry Seinfeld and wanted to bring him in as someone Seinfeld. But, um, you know, it's one of those situations where you can discuss a concept and you can have elements of that concept, but. It just doesn't. Either the audience doesn't buy it or whoever's portraying that concept may not be able to sell it.
0: The Portuguese man of war. Yeah. The jockstrap. Soccer
1: player, man. Portuguese.
0: The jockstrap. South America. The jockstrap.
1: I can't help it if you. Like jockstraps on your head, it—it it was a mask. It had to—you had to disguise his identity because of how popular he was in Portugal. Hey, I like dude, I'll <laughs> it, dude. I like it. Same thing as—is as goddamn Red Rooster. You go in there and you embrace it. And you do it. And then by God, you can make anything work.
0: I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget, don't kid yourself guys. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you've used any of these excuses or any others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or even death in 2018, nearly 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 43% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seat belts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. That goes for when you ride in taxis and use ride-sharing services, too. Cops are on the lookout and writing tickets, so why take the risk? Seatbelts save lives. So do the smart thing and buckle up. Every trip, day or night. Click it or tick it. The Observer... Grant
1: Hart made the hitman work.
0: Diesel was on a phone-in show on November 13th in Washington, D.C., plugging Survivor Series. Among comments when callers asked about wrestling Hulk Hogan, he said he'd never wrestle anyone older than his uncles, and he complained during the show about inside politics regarding pushes in WCW. When asked about Ric Flair, he said Flair had already had his time and made disparaging remarks about his age as well. Of course, we know by this time the following year he's knee deep in a program with half of those dudes. Uh, is this just company stance? Um, where no, w- it's not company stance, it's you know, unfortunately,
1: uh, and, and especially during this time frame, and we were all guilty of it, both sides. Was that I think it was more popular to knock your competition rather than put yourself over and be positive on yourself, and that's a mistake just in general, you take care of your own business and that's all you need to do. And if you want to take time out from promoting your own business to knock other people, then yeah, it it was, I guess a trend, but I I mean, it just was almost the way that you did it. it. It was knock the other guy, knock them down. And, um, when especially when you look back on it, how foolish that your words will make you seem.
0: Yeah. There's some news out of the USWA that's gonna influence wrestling in a major way. That's a would ride. Right? Vince McMahon did a heel promo on the November eighteenth television show teasing Lawler about being no longer being so popular in his hometown. Since Ahmed Johnson got a lot of cheers when he beat Lawler for the title and put over Johnson as a WWF superstar and thus trying to make him the heel going against the local hero. He brought up how Lawler wrestles differently in Memphis than in the WWF and said he should wrestle in Memphis like in the WWF. And Lawler's explanation for being a face on one show and a heel on the other is that he hates everyone in the WWF. A lot of these old promos are up on YouTube, by the way, they might be down now that I've just plugged them, but it really is kind of fun to go back and see Vince McMahon, getting to be Mr. McMahon playing a heel for the very first time. He had to love this shit. Did he know it?
1: Oh, uh, Vince was having a blast with it. And you know, when he eventually went to Memphis to sit in the corner, he had Pat with him and they got involved in a Lawler match. And you got to see that heel character, uh, Mr. McMahon. Yes, it was an extension of Vince, and it was so easy to do. But also, the beauty of Lawler and Lawler being able to play his hometown audience, it, being the babyface and the king that they have loved and adored for a hundred years. And explaining his character on WWE that I, you know, I hate everybody up there. I can't stand the, you know, those northern states and people in the south. You know, they understood that that was their guy, man. That was the king. And Lawler spun it that the people up there were rude and everybody else was rude to him, which they were.
0: Let's talk about, uh, another story. That's pretty big. It's a little bit off the beaten path. I don't know how much information you'll even have about it, but it's such a wild story. There's a report on the November 22nd, New York post that said federal prosecutors were investigating whether or not there was witness tampering and obstructed justice in the trial of Vince McMahon, in July, 94, the Brooklyn office reported as investigating television producer Marty Bergman and his wife, Laura Bravetti, who was the lead defense attorney in McMahon's trial on the allegation that Bergman offered a key witness in the trial between two hundred dollars and $400,000, according to some government documents. Emily Feinberg, who was McMahon's former administrative assistant was the government's key witness and told investigators about Bergman's offer The FBI agents and an assistant U.S. attorney were interviewing witnesses regarding Bergman's conduct before the trial, and the investigation is said to determine whether Bergman pursued witnesses and potential witnesses against McMahon in an effort to change, taint, or discredit their testimony by inducing them to accept money as television consultants. What a weird thing. Uh, Leading to the trial, Bergman represented himself as a producer for 60 Minutes, Hard Copy, A Current Affair, and American Journal, while withholding that at the time he was living with Brevetti and working out of her office. A lot to unpack here. Um, uh, Most of this is not something a lot of our listeners are even interested in, but we know how the trial is going to wind up. Vince is going to ultimately be acquitted, but it feels like we're not done. We're still coming after different angles here and this time the allegation is witness tampering my goodness
1: it it absolutely silly because the u.s government didn't have a case it spent millions upon millions of dollars trying to trump up a case uh, without even putting on a defense vince and and titan sports won uh in a jury trial and again, the government's case was so poor that no defense was even needed. And it was a horrible waste of time, a horrible waste of money. And when you really dig into the government's behavior in this entire investigation, it's it's sad. And it's, it's pretty shameful when you honestly look at it um, as far <laughs> as— you know, witness tampering um, with whatever Feinberg—they um, were questioned and cross-examined in the federal trial. Why didn't that come out then? Why didn't why didn't she come forward with that then? Or the government, if they knew this was happening, why didn't they come forward with it then? That's. It's just, um, trumped up and, and silly when you, when you look at it, because then it shines a light on the ineptness and the lack of case that the government actually had.
0: In your opinion, is this, you know, just the prosecutors still sore that they lost what I'm sure once upon a time they felt like it was a slam dunk case. Now they're just, they've got an ax to grind.
1: Yes, I do. And I, I mean, I, I can tell you from personal experience that the way that they actually treated me and how the, and how they did it and the timing of, of what they did to me and trying to get me to testify against events and, and trying to tell me what to say and doing it while my dad was in intensive care with his chest wide open and um, the timing, it just was, it was an ugly, ugly ordeal. It was an ugly time in all of our lives. We lived through it and prevailed and are stronger on the other side because of it. And there are people that will never, ever know the lengths that the prosecutors and the government went to, to try to, to, to make a name for themselves. And I, the New York post as well, it was an ax to grind.
0: What can you tell us about Laura Brevetti? Sign a name we've talked about a lot, but we have heard a few times here on the show,
1: uh, Laura was Vince's, uh, I believe she was the company attorney or I, I actually, she was either the company's attorney or Vince's personal attorney. One of the two, uh, she was a tremendous attorney and a super, super nice lady. Uh, if I was, you know, <laughs> if I needed an attorney, she'd be on the short list.
0: Let's get to the event itself survivor series 95, uh, readers of the observer actually kind of dug this one, uh, 73% thumbs up 14.2% thumbs down. 12.8% thumbs in the middle. You watched it for the first time this week in 25 years. What'd you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle.
1: I thought it was thumbs up and I'll, I'll tell you why just off of the Brett diesel match. You know, you watch it and it was clinic. So I I thought it was at the time, especially one of the best matches diesel had ever had in his career. And it told a good story. So, you know, when, when you leave on that, it kind of leaves you with a good feeling overall.
0: Uh, Mr. Perfect gets a special introduction here and a big pop. He goes on to talk about the ovation all night on commentary Meltzer would write. It's actually the biggest surprise on the show, which appeared to have been rebooked late in the week leading to the show. Perfect was introduced before opening credits on the show as a return of a major player in company history. But unfortunately, like many other similar returns, he appeared to not have been following what had been going on very closely and seemed to have little knowledge of current storylines and overall did a poor job particularly in the women's match where he mainly made jokes that it would what it would be like to date the different japanese women it appeared from television the next night that perfect's role at least to this point will be doing heel commentary on superstars leaving jerry lawler only for raw lot to unpack here how do you get perfect to come back uh, who was uh, a big proponent of him on commentary and why was this night a miss We don't see him feature this prominently ever again. Was he just better on tape?
1: Yes. Kurt was a lot better on tape. And when you go back and you look at the different things that Kurt had done in the commentary role, the co-host role years before, all of it was on tape and it was heavily produced. I think that we took for granted Kurt's mic skills and speaking skills thinking that God damn it, you know, he, he was able to hold his own in commentary, but being live and also being away from it for a while was a detriment to Kurt. And I don't want, I don't think that it was fair to put him in that position live and that that's bad on our part.
0: The most hated jeweler in America makes holiday shopping easy. Steven singer has the perfect gift for that special. Someone who's the center of your universe. The one who your whole world revolves around that person. Who's the star of your love story show her it's her with Steven's brand new exclusive star of love diamond necklace, picture it, a star necklace covered in real sparkling diamonds with an open heart in the center. This beautiful necklace is just $128 plus fast and free shipping in time for Christmas, great jewelry. Doesn't have to be expensive. Buy real jewelry from a real jeweler you can trust. Steven Singer is not in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. It's easy. Go now to ihateStevensinger.com and click on the Star of Love Diamond Necklace. Steven's real expert jewelers are available seven days a week to help you. In his showroom at the other corner of the 8th and Walnut and Philly, by appointment only or through email, chat, phone text, or virtual video appointments, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Let's, uh, let's talk about the dark match. It's the smoking guns beating public enemy. Yeah. Public enemy in the WWF in 95. This even seemed to surprise Meltzer and the observer. Of course they wind up signing with WCW for a run. They're back for a night or so here later, but 95 man, they were over in ECW. They're getting a try out here. Is this something you think they did with or without Paul's blessing?
1: No, definitely with Paul's blessing and, and Paul's the one that, that hooked it up for us. And unfortunately that damn bell had to ring.
0: You're not fans of, I mean, you liked rock or rock. It was Johnny grunge. You weren't a fan of, or you just didn't like I, the act or any of it.
1: No, I love the act. I love the entrance and I love the crowd participation. However, and I and and I did I, I did like Rocco an, an awful lot personally. Ted Petty I thought was um, a hell of a worker and a, a pretty nice guy. Ted was always really good to me. You know, Johnny was Johnny, but I didn't dislike Johnny. It just um, could take him or leave him. The act was hot, but once you realize that, uh oh, when that bell rang, uh, there wasn't a whole lot there uh, other than in ECW, they could use the chairs and all the hardcore bullshit The tables. Yeah. It just didn't translate.
0: Let's talk about our first match here. We've got skip rad Radford, Tom Pritchard and the one, two, three kid beating Marty Jannetty, Barry Horowitz, Bob Holly and Hakushi. They go 18 minutes and 45 seconds. Meltzer would say there were two late changes to the match. Kid replaced Jean-Pierre Lafitte, who had hernia surgery earlier in the week for a stomach injury, suffered at the Nassau Coliseum on November 10th. It was announced on the show that Ted DiBiase had paid Pierre off to stay home and had bought the spot on the show for Kid. Holly was replacing Avatar. This change wasn't even acknowledged on the show with a storyline reason. What really happened is that Holly was one of the wrestlers unhappy and ready to leave last week, complaining about not getting enough dates. And as a perk to keep him since pay-per-view payoffs are several thousand dollars, they put him on the show. They called out snow up to tell him he was off the show, but could because Holly had been with the company longer. What do you make of this? These two stories here. First of all, the pirate suffers a hernia surgery. That's going to put him down. For the count after a stomach injury at a Nassau Coliseum show just a little while before this, my goodness, this is a, a pretty big time surgery, especially for a young man. He had to have a rough go there at the Nassau Coliseum, huh?
1: No, did. He did. He had to have the surgery right away. So you had to replace him and that's just an injury replacement. Guess what? It happens. It ain't ballet. And, uh, as far as the other, one, I really don't remember. Uh, anything about replacing avatar and Bob Holly in any way, shape or form.
0: We got to talk to uh, Al about that one day. I'm sure he's got a fun avatar. You you need to explain why you're saying avatar that way.
1: Well, just because every time that uh, Al came in as avatar, Jim Ross was a big proponent of Al snow and avatar. And, and I don't know that Vince was necessarily sold on avatar and The gimmick—I don't remember if the gimmick was Al's idea or where the hell it came up—but Jr. got to the point to where whenever there was a a suggestion for anybody in any match at any time, the first word out of Jr.'s mouth would be "Avatar." We need somebody to uh, for the third match against Bam Bam Bigelow in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Avatar. Or we need somebody in the third match on, on avatar. I need somebody to paint my house on Tuesday avatar, no matter what it was, it was avatar and it just became to the point of everything. Everybody would finish every sa- sentence with avatar and poor Al snow was buried just kind of dead on arrival.
0: Let's talk about a couple of moments in the match here. Skip is uh, going up top for a superplex, but Marty Jannetty going to block it and come down with the move of the night, a power bomb off the top rope. That's going to get it done. Uh, so that's ultimately the, the finish for skip. I do want to mention though, when Gennetti goes to break out a rocker dropper, uh, it, it doesn't work because the kid has his foot on the ropes, but as he's executing it on commentary, Mr. Perfect says, boy, that move could break someone's neck. I mean, I realize one he's, more
1: reason not to have Kurt do live commentary. My
0: goodness, I realize you're trying to rib the boss, but goddamn, this is on the air. That's that's off the headset talk. What are you doing?
1: Yeah, I don't even think that that Kurt was looking at it as a rib. I think that you know it's just trying to do color and not being fully prepared in a live environment.
0: I mean, if you could see Vince, he had to be cringing at that moment, right? I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Who knows? Let's talk about after the match. I guess we should mention Kid, even though he's a replacement here, uh, he winds up winning the thing, beating Razor Ramon. And uh, Ramon is going to go crazy, throwing a television monitor against a wall a few times and destroying it. Three and three quarter stars. Nice little elimination match. I would have liked to have seen a little more of your brother. He was the first eliminated. But when you, you see this group of guys, you tend to think, well, this is sort of a. Uh, a soup of a match. Like you got a little bit of everything in here, but I
1: don't you know. Did. And it, it, it was a good, it was a good one. And maybe when you have Tom, uh, analyze the next match that you have analyzed over there on ad free shows, you can analyze this and just, uh, tell you why in the hell he did get eliminated first and why it was probably best that way. But, um, it was, yeah, it, it was. One of those matches where you look at the star power that was in it and the delivery of the action, it was tremendous.
0: I know a lot of times guys, you know, destroy TV monitors like they are here with razor. It's part of a planned storyline, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But occasionally when a guy would, you know, sort of go into business for himself, as they say, if he tears up a monitor or a microphone or something like that, while he's in character and just throws the shit. In 95, do they get billed for it?
1: In 95, I think I was charging $1,000 per thrown microphone. Um, because they were expensive. They were wireless microphones at the time, but very expensive. So every time someone would, would throw a microphone and break it, it was $1,000. Uh, they're a little less expensive these days. (laughs) And so, and a lot more durable as well. But the monitor, you know, we would have a gazillion monitors on the road, uh, and some that didn't work that you need to get rid of anyway.
0: So when one goes out, Hey, let's use it in an angle, throw it against that. Oh wall. yeah. Don't throw anything away.
1: Right. And always use it.
0: There you go. Uh, the top rope, uh, superplex into a power bomb. That was, uh, that's a big move that, that we've only seen a handful of times over the years. Where are you at on that? The top rope power bomb. Long as it's safe,
1: awesome move.
0: Looking back at this, who or what stood out to you the most? Skip, your brother, Rad Radford, one two three kid, Marty Jannetty, Barry Horowitz, Bob Holly, Hakushi We didn't even talk about Hakushi You know,
1: I, I I think you know more than anything for me it's just kind of the evolution of the kid. Yeah, and and also you, anytime that you see Marty Jannetty working in this
0: time frame and era. Marty was tremendous. Let's get to the next match. Uh we've got Bertha Fay. I guess before we do we should ask, what's the thinking when you have a heel when your first elimination match like this? Like kid goes over. Last minute replacement, I get that. I guess you're trying to give him a surprise. But chat me up though. What why was it kid's time here?
1: I it just was. Uh, and it was the best thing for the story. When you look at everybody in that in that match, who the hell else you gonna put over?
0: All right. Let's uh let's talk about the next match. We got Bertha Fay teaming with Aja Kong, Lioness, Asuka, and Tamako uh Tamako Watanabe.
1: Watanabe.
0: Okay, there you go. Uh they beat Alundra Blaze. Help me out with this one. Kyoko Inui.
1: Kyoko Inui.
0: And Saki Hasegawa.
1: Saki Hasegawa.
0: All right. We'll say the next one, asshole. Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm a hillbilly. I'm doing my best. Hey, about this, though. Uh, Bertha Faye and Aja Kong, the the bad girls, they get the win. Ten minutes and one second. Meltzer was still disappointed, though. He said it came off as a total rush job because the referee counted two pinfalls that were supposed to be near falls. The Japanese women flew in on an 18-hour flight after doing the Um, the show the day before and are obviously tired and he thought that perhaps one of them may have even been hurt because he believes she was the best all-around worker on the card besides maybe Sean and Brett but they didn't do anything with her and uh, he says that he believes they were told to hold back because the spotlight is supposed to be on Aja Kong and they're trying to focus on getting her ready for a match with Alundra Blaze at Royal Rumble which by the way would be in January and this Division will not even exist by then. What can you tell us about the rumor and innuendo? That didn't even sound like a real thing that you guys would have said you have to hold back.
1: Yeah. You know, think about that for a second. Uh, we want to fly you in and we want to bring you in and do this, but we don't want you to work very hard. And we, uh, you know, some of the shit that comes out of this guy's mouth is, is embarrassing. I mean, one, one day we'll go through that list of the guy that that wrote down all of the uh comments that this guy's made through the years and that's just a fraction of them but you can go through just one observer and the list is too long of inconsistency and lies but it just wasn't you know it wasn't good i think it was a communication problem and um maybe there was jet lag i don't know what the hell but it just didn't click and Uh, It wasn't Aja Kong at the time. It was Bertha Faye that, that we were looking at. And, um, once again, God can't believe that
0: Dave has his shit mixed up. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy. Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. He would write, the All Japan women as a group are remarkably consistent, and I don't think I've seen a match involving this level talent talent be as bad as this one in years. And it wasn't as if it was Bertha of face fault. Two and three-quarter stars. Um, Aja Kong. Is gonna go on to become an absolute legend. Why why was Vince so enamored with her? I mean, we know that, that was the original plan. Aja and Vince Blade. wasn't
1: enamored with her.
0: Why was she the one? Is what I'm trying to. I mean, you got a lot she of. wasn't po-
1: the one. That, that, that's the thing. She wasn't the one. That's what Dave Meltzer thought. Dave Meltzer thought she was the one. Jim, Jim Ross liked her. But the one w- that we were interested in was Bertha Faye. And, and yes, to, to, oh my God, to Meltzer and his, his people, oh, it's gotta be her and, and oh my God, you gotta see her. She didn't speak the language and it was like, okay, can she do some big impressive moves? Yes, she could, but she wasn't the one.
0: I like when you're fired up. So I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not disappointed in that. But what I meant was she's going to go on to have the biggest hall of fame career out of the group. Right. Have you seen her work? outside of what she did with you guys at all? Yeah, I have. Why do you think, is it just the, is it the face paint? Is it the look? Are you not impressed with her work still? I'm just looking okay, but here. That's all great. At some point
1: you have to be able to communicate with your audience. She didn't speak English. She couldn't communicate with the audience. So therefore it was a much harder sell. To try and get to know her and who she is. Okay. She's a big, tough, bad woman. Great. Make me care.
0: I'm with you on that. I'm asking, I and mean, I guess I'm not asking the right way. Why Does was she, she... Do
1: incredible, big, crazy moves?
0: Yes. Why Why was she over in Japan? Is what I'm trying to dial in. Because why she
1: speaks the language and connect with that
0: audience. Well, the other folks do too. I'm not, I'm not asking you to defend it. I'm asking pretend I know the company's going another direction. I, I'm with you. Do you see the appeal for Aja Kong to a Japanese audience?
1: If I To the Japanese audience? Sure. To the American audience? No.
0: I like when you're fired up.
1: Well, because, because you got a fucking guy that doesn't know shit. And you're saying, well, she was the one. No, she wasn't one. It, Meltzer says he thinks she was the one. She wasn't the fucking one. He's wrong. He lies. He just makes shit up and assumes shit because of what he thinks he would fucking do. But he's never had a dime fucking invested in the fucking business to actually. Hey, let's see if some of your logic and some of your fucking creative could actually make a fucking penny in this goddamn business. You couldn't fucking do it. You know why you couldn't do it or why you don't do it because you can't do it. You like to critique, you like me, 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 like to watch your bitch boys and all your bullshit and everything, but you couldn't ever fucking do it.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we just found two thousand sixteen Bruce Pritchard. He's back on the show. Hypothetically, if there was a women's division at the Royal Rumble, who would a blaze have probably wrestled? Just wanted you to say it one last time. (laughs) Mr.
1: Saki Wajiguchi. I don't fucking, you know. uh,
0: No, I know. You're with.
1: Communicate. Communication. That's, that's what we do. Okay. And it's, it's why you have French talent. Speak to French audiences. It's why you have Spanish talent. Speak to Spanish audiences because it could communicate. It's why John Cena learned Chinese. So he could go to China and be able to communicate. If you fucking can't communicate, it's very difficult to engage with an audience. And yes, you can watch shit all day long of people that, you know, do incredible uh, feats of bullshit. Oh, isn't that great? They just crush their head over something. It means Nothing. In that little island in which she's a star. Great. Good for her. And I'm happy for her. And I'm happy the curly headed jacked up dude out in California is so fucking in love with her. Well, boy, so she's a very nice lady. And she was.
0: Mr. Perfect and Jim Ross were, uh, they were not getting along on the show. You could tell how annoyed they are with each other really getting on each other's nerves. Did you know, listening to this show or watching it back? I mean, it stands out like a sore thumb, but did you know, when you're listening, I assume you're doing this show on gorilla, you're on headsets in the back.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: When you know, the two guys are really getting on each other's nerves like that, do you want to get it off the air or do you know, Vince probably secretly loves it? <laughs>
1: Oh man, you know, uh, actually there were a lot of times that if I had the opportunity and I didn't have to listen to commentary, I would just turn it off.
0: So you weren't listening to commentary here. You're probably trying not to. Yeah.
1: I had enough things to do.
0: Would Vince have really enjoyed that these guys were annoyed with each other? It feels like he likes that on air tension.
1: I think that on air tension, a lot of times is good. Yeah. And I think that, that it, that it makes keeps people
0: on their toes. Yeah.
1: Makes it feel real. And if there is actual real tension, all the better.
0: Well, we know that, uh, perfect stays here are numbered. He's uh, one and done and off to superstars. He goes, uh, next up, we've got gold dust pinning bam, bam, Bigelow in eight minutes and 18 seconds with a bulldog headlock. Meltzer would say Goldust ring entrance is supposed to be the heel equivalent of the undertakers, but it came off as so long. It was boring. These two didn't work well together, although not from a lack of effort. One star it's bam, bam's last match with the company. Do you know when he comes through the curtain in the back, that's it. We won't see him again. Or are you guys still hopeful that you'll be able to figure something out?
1: No, I, th- I think at this point we knew, and you know, Scott was, uh, he was done. He was ready to go. So good luck to him. And, and Bam Bam was one of those guys I always had a soft spot for, I, I always liked him, always got along with him and he was a super nice guy, but he was defeated and he was unhappy. So it was time for him to go be happy.
0: Well, he's going to do his best. Um, when you watch this back, were you pleased with the gold dust? character at this point, obviously this is a, a character that's going to evolve a few times, Melzer's kind of critical of the entrance. I kind of dug it. It was so different, uh, but you know, you can probably look back here and see, well, we're not quite done evolving yet.
1: It was excellent. I thought that the entrance, it was unique. It was different and something that hadn't been done. So maybe Meltzer doesn't like innovation. Um, but if he was in the Tokyo dome, he'd love it. The, the gold dust character was, was always evolving and it was still in its infancies and we were still trying to feel our way through it. And, you know, kudos to gold dust for the way that he just kept after it. And he would not accept anything less every single night and busted his ass to make the most out of it.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about the other segment here that happens a few times. It's with Mr. President, a bill Clinton impersonator. This is real. Uh, he was appearing at various WWF shows in this era. Uh, he has appeared seated here in the crowd and Todd Pettengill is going to go over to interview him. And during one of these segments, the Mr. President character stares at Sonny's breasts and spills popcorn on him. Then he offers her a job as his under secretary. Uh, in others, we would see him talk to, uh, Bob Backlund, which is a pretty, uh, hard to follow conversation, but the funniest moment happens when bam, bam, Bigelow's pyro goes off and the fake secret service agents rush over to cover up Mr. President as though he's under attack. That's a nice touch. This feels like a, a Vince McMahon special. Was this your idea? His idea. This is pre Brian. He probably would have been for it. What what can you tell us about these skits?
1: The guy that did Clinton was absolutely phenomenal. Super nice guy and a lot of fun to work with. So it was an opportunity to work with him again, just right place, right time. Let's use him and have some fun with it. So that it was nothing more than that. It was something that happened and, uh, we had a lot of fun with.
0: Yes, we did. Uh, let's talk about, um, the, the, the skit here when you're doing these Clinton impersonator skits obviously it's a different climate. Is there any concern about potential blowback? I mean, these days it feels like something you would avoid like the plague because no matter what you do, you're going to piss off part of your audience. Was it, was just society different back then or, or, or is it even something that was discussed?
1: Society was definitely different back then. Also, I think that everyone knew that this was a, an impersonator and I don't know that that anything we did was political per se, it was, it was in fun. It was tongue in cheek and with, you know, the attitude of fun to it. So I don't think that, uh, shit, I don't remember anybody getting their nose out of shape and Clinton actually liked this guy that impersonated him and and had a chuckle with most of the bits that he did.
0: Next up, we've got the undertaker. Teaming with Fatu Henry Godwin and Savio Vega. They're going to take on Jerry Lawler, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, King Mabel and Isaac Yankum. Um, uh, they're going to tease Helmsley, not wanting to work with Godwin here. Meltzer would say the first 11 minutes consisted of lifeless action involving all, but the undertaker, um, he doesn't love this match. He only gives it a star and a half. Uh, he says that, uh, this left Mabel against all four faces and he hit a belly to belly and a leg drop on Undertaker who then sat up. Mabel then took off and was counted out at 46 seconds. After the match, Undertaker gave Mo, who was at ringside, a slam. Not much for wrestling, but the booking was good. Star and a half. Uh, we should mention this is the era where the Undertaker's wearing a, a pretty unique mask. Uh, tell us about why the mask was necessary and how it came to be.
1: The mask was necessary from Aaron, either punch or elbow from Mabel in a previous match. It shattered Undertaker's orbital bone. So for him to be able to compete still, we had this specially constructed mask that that was padded, but it also was able to hold everything in place. So even if he did get struck in the face, it wouldn't cause any more damage uh, to the orbital. And it, it just also... Is a testament to the professional that the undertaker was and is, and just how tough the son of a bitch <laughs> is as well to be able to go out and work the matches and do what he did with that kind of an injury. I thought the match. shit, the match was fun. It was what it was and it was a showcase for the undertaker. I think that the, the most fun of the whole thing was, the tension that finally Jerry Lawler and undertaker would be in the ring at the same time. And we, we helped kind of nudge that along to say, Oh, Jerry, he still hasn't forgotten how he was treated in Memphis. And, um, I don't know about that, that tombstone, how that's going to be. And Lawler being a pro taker being a pro, it it was a lot of fun. So I thought, I thought the match was fun, told nice, quick little story.
0: Let's talk about the guys participating and do I have this right? All of these guys on undertaker's team were, uh, his big friends, a part of the BSK outfit, Henry Godwin, Savio Vega, Fatu
1: all. Yep. Yeah, all very tight.
0: Meanwhile, the other side, I just don't think Hunter was hanging out a lot with King Mabel. I could be wrong. I just don't think they were probably riding partners. You never know. Sure. There's room what do you think of the undertaker's look here? I mean, uh, it's a pretty cool look. It's very, it's it's at least memorable, right?
1: Yeah. Very Phantom of the Opera ish. Yeah. But I I liked it. It was again, that character continually evolving.
0: It's just not a bad thing to me. I know some people uh, posted comments on social that they hated it. I, I thought it looked sort of creepy and sort of worked. Ding dong. Look who's hard. Bridge is so hard, so very hard. Ding dong, his boner's not dead. Yeah, BlueChew.com is sponsoring the show again. And I'm trying to find creative ways to get your attention, all right? Because we've been talking about BlueChew for a like long, long time. And I'm wondering, what the hell are you waiting for? Go to BlueChew.com right now and use promo code WRESTLE. Let's see how hard we can get your ding dong, all right? I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't need do that Yes, you do. This is not just for guys who have performance issues. This is not just for guys who have erectile dysfunction this is for guys who want an edge this is for guys who want to put on a show this is for guys who are looking for a five star rating and no you don't have to go to tokyo though you have to go to bluechew.com and use promo code wrestle it really is that simple here's what all the fuss is about this has the same active ingredient that you know from viagra and cialis except this is the world's first chewable and chewables can work faster and these chewables can be taken on a full or an empty stomach. Not only that, these are better than the other two, and here's why. They're cheap. You get to skip the in-person doctor's visit. Instead, you go to bluechew.com. You'll work with one of their affiliated physicians to help find the right active ingredient and dosage for you and your body. And if you qualify, you'll get prescribed online very quickly. It's going to show up to your door in discreet packaging. So that means you get to skip running down to the pharmacy and saying, uh, hey, uh, I'm here. You don't have to do that. Instead, it just shows up to your door. And when you get it, boom, it's time to enjoy. By the way, Blue Chew's made right here in the red, white, and blue, the old US of A. We're so proud of that. And we're so proud that you're finally going to know what all the fuss is about. This is can't miss. I cannot tell you how many of my friends and how many of the folks I know in wrestling are all about Blue Chew, and it all started because they heard it on this podcast. And yes, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. And if you're looking for something we could all use a little more of right now, not just sex, but great sex, let's get that extra confidence that we need. Let's increase our performance. Let's go to BlueChew.com. Blue, like the color blue. And one more time, Blue Chew's made in the USA. It's prescribed online by licensed physicians. You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to wait in line. It's cheaper than a pharmacy. They prepare and ship it right to you. It's in a discreet package. There's no awkwardness. You don't need to leave the house. What are you waiting for? Right now, we've got a special deal for you. Visit BlueChew.com. Get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code wrestle, You'll just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W, bluechew.com. The promo code is Wrestle, and you can try it for free. Blue Shoe is the better, cheaper choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast and our hard-ons. And remember, when you support our shows, you make this podcast possible. So please, be sure to use the promo code Wrestle at bluechew.com. Let's get your ding-dong on the gas. Next up, we've got a wild-card match, and boy, these could be weird. Uh, We've got Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, Davey Boy Smith, and Sid taking on Yokozuna, Owen Hart, and Dean Douglas, and Razor Ramon. And they go 27 minutes and 24 seconds. Shawn Michaels' team is actually going to win. And Meltzer would say this was a good match, Uh, particularly when Hart was in there with either Michaels or a brief spot with Smith. Meltzer would say Johnson is pretty green, but they're going to push him to the moon. He wasn't as over as much as you'd think based on his recent push on TV, but this match was part of the process to help get him over. He would note Yokozuna is still a great worker for his size, but he's got to drop weight because he's got no stamina. And anytime he was in, he immediately went to a nerve hold. He said that Sid tried, but was still very bad. And, uh, he didn't, he didn't hate the match. He gave it three and a half stars. The finish is Sean gives Yokozuna a super kick. And then Ahmed Johnson pins him with the splash Sean's not in the main event, but we know he's going to be the main event very soon. So he's standing tall here at the end with Ahmed Johnson he's going to be your next project, I guess, for the mid card, this match, even though it's fifth on the card is really a a glimpse of what's to come over the next few months here in the company, huh?
1: Yeah, it was, I, (sighs) Boy, I, I wasn't crazy about the match. I, I, I didn't like the concept. I didn't get it. It was never explained. And I don't think that, that Bill could ever explain it. Um, it was just, hey, let's have a wild card match and put you know, all these different guys, make them team with each other. Well, who's making them team with each other and why? And what's the point? Never got that answer. Right. Um, so I just didn't care for it because it, it, the, the match had no real story to it. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I didn't think it was very good. There were star power, there were great spots, but overall, what it did it accomplish?
0: The rumor in innuendo is that this wild card concept is a Bill Watts idea. Is that the way you remember? 100%. It? I mean, is that something that, he had, uh, I'm not familiar with his territory stuff as much as you are. Obviously. Was that something he did a lot in mid South that proved successful? Or do you think somebody got in his idea? It doesn't feel like it got in his ear. It doesn't feel like a, a bill Watts idea.
1: No, it was a bill Watts idea. I, I was there for him coming up with it and, and, and selling it and the whole nine yards and, and Vince kind of giving him one like, okay, Bill, you know, we'll do this. Um, let's try it and, and, you know, Vince's credit, he tried it, but I just feel it was an ill-conceived idea and I didn't think that it worked really well. And there, again, there was just no story to it. It was just, Hey, why don't we do this with no explanation as to who's doing it and why
0: is Ahmed Johnson also a bill Watts call to push so hard.
1: That, That was unanimous. But yeah, Bill, Bill was behind Ahmed. We all were. I think that, I think that unanimously everyone felt that Ahmed had the potential
0: to be a huge star. He would have liked to have called him Buck Johnson though, right? Why would he call him Buck Johnson? I'm just saying, I think that's what Jim Ross said on, on his podcast that Bill wanted to call him and somebody said, no, we can't call him. Buck."
1: <laughs> I don't even want, yeah, I, I don't even want to get in that conversation.
0: Uh, let's talk about the main event of the evening. Uh, it's announced as, uh, being for the world wrestling federations championship, uh, which is a little different than they normally announce it, but diesel comes out and unlike the past few months, he's coming into the arena with totally wet hair. It's partially pinned behind his head. And there's even a braided strand in the back. This is a, a deep into the weeds sort of note here, but it is a period where diesel is about to go from a clean cut baby face to more of a tweener. Who's going to high five people wearing gloves only and displays more heel tendencies. It feels like, you know, this is a very subtle thing, but when you look back and at the story you're trying to tell, there's definitely a change here because you're trying to turn him a little bit, huh?
1: Well, give, give him an edge and the. Stereotypical babyface stuff of smiling all the time was not working with him. What the audience liked to even make it turn diesel Babyface was that he had an edge to him and I think that we took that edge away with the baby face run. And this was a, an attempt to get back to the edge that I think really worked for diesel.
0: Let's, uh, let's keep it going here. I do want to mention that, uh, perfect says on commentary hard for him to watch this match for the world title because it's something that eluded him for years we know eventually he's going to get back in the ring were you totally convinced that he was really done i mean i know he made that comment in character but it is interesting to think hey man does, does that mean maybe he's going to try to come back and we know he does for wcw but here in late 95 were you convinced no he's really done or did you think he was just sort of wink wink lloyd's london done
1: You know, um, I think that there are talent that really want to be done. And then there are talent that have to be done. And they try to convince themselves that they want to be done. I believe at this time, Kurt probably needed to be done, but he wasn't, he didn't want to be. So there are guys that will always, you know, Kurt Hennig was a thoroughbred and any thoroughbred, they want to run from the moment they come out until the moment they die. They always just want to run. That's what they do. They're thoroughbred. And when you had to put a saddle on that thoroughbred and calm him down and say, okay, you can't run anymore. I think a little bit, a little bit inside of him dies. And I think that Kurt never was satisfied or content or accepting of being done.
0: Let's get to, uh, the main event. Bret Hart is going to beat diesel here in 24 minutes and 54 seconds to win the championship and become the WWF champion. Uh, when they start both men uncover one turnbuckle. Meltzer would say that diesel dominated the first seven and a half minutes just destroying brett brett starts to make a comeback working on diesel's knee and uses the figure four but eventually diesel makes the ropes whenever he goes for a sharpshooter diesel kicks him into one of those turnbuckles that's been exposed but he comes back and he's trying to post diesel's knee a few times they're really telling a fun story here Uh, there's a fun moment in the match where Diesel drops Brett across the top rope. It's the old Vinnie Vegas snake eyes. And Jim Ross even calls it snake eyes. little WCW throwback. But there is an interesting spot here that really stands out, especially in 95. People still talk about it to this day. Brett's going to miss a plancha and start selling his own knee. And while the apron, while on the apron, Diesel's going to shoulder block Brett off the apron. And he's going to fly through the table that the Spanish announcers are sitting at and this is a major moment because i think it might be one of if not the first time we destroyed the spanish announce table but what a spectacular looking bump it was and this is sort of in the era where sabu had become world famous for breaking tables but it didn't happen a lot here in the wwf but we're not done with the match of course diesel's going to pick up the devastated brett throw him in the ring let everybody know he's setting up a jackknife he stalls for a second and with the idea that he's asking the referee to stop it rather than have to jackknife him and the ref says no so as he goes to do the move what do you know brett small packages him and beats him and because diesel's pissed off now that he's just lost his belt and he felt like he was trying to show a little mercy and it backfired He jackknives Brett not once, but twice after the bell and beats up several referees. Meltzer gave it three and a half stars, which tied one other match. And the first match he actually likes better, but this is such a memorable match. And I thought it was one of diesel's best matches he ever had. I would rate it higher than that. I love this match. What'd you think watching it back for the first time in 25 years?
1: Uh, 87 stars, 309 in the Tokyo dome.
0: It's a great show,
1: dude. It was, yeah, I thought that this match capped off the show perfectly. It was such a beautiful story. And this was a great example of Bret Hart and, and the thought that Bret used to put into matches to make everything different and unique. Uh, the table spot was a Bret call, and that was something that Bret really wanted to do. And both guys were made. Um, there wasn't There wasn't a loser in this match. Um, and it was, it was real. It was believable and flawlessly executed. So I I thought again, like I said, in the very beginning, this was diesel's best match to date and both guys, uh, performed above and beyond thought it was tremendous.
0: A lot of fun stuff to unpack on this show. I feel like we should start with the Spanish announce table. I think this is the first time that that happened. I know there was a table spot on Saturday night's main event, like back in 88 with Harley and Hogan, but the table didn't break and it wasn't the Spanish announce table, but this sort of became tongue in cheek. It was like a, an inside joke. Oh, they're going to bust up the Spanish announce table. I think this is the first time. Is that a Brett spot Was Brett have been the one who wanted to do it? 100%.
1: Yep. All Brett.
0: And it's not like you can walk through that one. You just got to know, Hey, hit it right here and don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. See you later. Right.
1: Be a pro and you, you, you take what's coming to you. I
0: actually like the look here. Did you prefer the, the tables with the black tablecloth over it or or the more common style where it looks like, you know, set pieces.
1: No, I, I like the evolution of the set. I think it looks much classier, much better in the. You know, when you go back and you watch it kind of cringe at the crudeness of, of what we of what we had at the time,
0: I don't mean as far as television presentation, 100%. I prefer that I'm at the table break spot.
1: Oh yeah. I, again, it was the first time. So it was, I thought it was cool as shit.
0: I loved it. I think if you're uh, looking for a match to watch this week, that would be the one that I would recommend. I even like the subtlety with the diesel character where he's trying to play good guy. He wants the ref to stop it. So he doesn't have to unnecessarily jackknife Brett, another baby face. When it backfires, he flips the hell out. He says, I'm back, but somehow the director and the commentators miss it. Um, but I like the idea that he's showing a little sympathy and it backfires on him. It's a great moment in the match.
1: It it really was. And and it made it real, made it feel real and different.
0: We should note Brett becomes only the second ever three-time WWE champion. It's him and Hulk Hogan. And this is before the belt changed hands nearly as much as it would just a few years later, this is a big accomplishment. When you think about in the history of the company, there's only been two guys to hold this belt three times, not Bruno not Andre Hogan and Brett. It's pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah. Well, that was then.
0: There's a, an interesting spot here where diesel uses the padded chair to hit bread on the back. It's unusual to see a padded chair used, but the hard thud combined with breath selling, I thought it worked.
1: It did. It was different. And I, and I think that it, it's also what we had to work with at the time.
0: I liked the story they were telling with trying to, you know, chop him down. Uh, he's using the mic cable to tie up diesel's leg. He's trying to post the knee. It really is a great story. Can't recommend it enough. I think uh, Brett would be noted here by JR as having 41 pay-per-view appearances. These days, that doesn't sound like a lot. But boy, in 95, that had to sound like an astronomical number. When it came to the readers of The Observer, they thought the Bret Hart-Diesel match was the very best match. They thought the uh, underdog versus body Donna's was second. And Meltzer would write this of the main event. The WWF title change meant the group's top position was no longer in the hands of one of the click. Although only time will tell if it is temporary or not. The show also left a question in fans eyes regarding diesel who strongly teased the heel turn by giving Hart two jackknives after the match was over and attacking several referees. Diesel appeared to have been booed by 65 to 70% of the fans after the match. And the announcers McMahon and Ross played it up as if it was a turn. The new character and new attitude of the promotion was set up by diesel's mouthing motherfucker when he lost the title. So it appears they believe the ECW approach, or at least the toned down version is now the most marketable approach in this country, which is funny on a lot of levels.
1: That was Dave Meltzer's comment.
0: Yes, sir. Idiot. Well, let's talk about motherfucker. I did save it because and i that's something
1: the diesel said, and it was not told to say that. And that's something that was caught on camera and just, just lit. But it was, not, you know, no, was not told to do that. That was not planned.
0: Well, he is selling it. It comes off as real. Is there any pushback when you're on pay-per-view like this? Obviously, if it's on TV, we can have upset sponsors and whatnot. Milton Bradley don't give a shit about this though, do they?
1: Yeah, not to my knowledge. Uh, again, it's not ideal. It's not something that we would have endorsed.
0: Well, listen, I, I thought the, the match was well done. Uh, the story was even better. But I do want to ask, because we're not too f- terribly removed from him being out of here. You know, he's going to leave as is, you know, Razor. They're both going to show up in, what, six months for the competition. With all the uh, unhappiness that we heard about earlier from guys like Bob Holly and all those folks. did you get the impression that the click was happy? I mean, I know that's weird to say that the click was happy because apparently they were never happy, but did you have any inclination by this point? Hey, we might be losing razor because he wants more dates or he wants to go to Japan or diesel is frustrated with the way the creative's going or his paydays or what we've asked of him. Did you have any inclination here that they were interested in leaving?
1: Well, I think everybody knew. I think everybody was not necessarily happy with their paydays and looking for more so that it's not like that was a secret and, you know, we're, we're trying to do what we can to alleviate that, but it wasn't, um, one thing, anything that was extraordinary.
0: Uh, Devin wants to know, do you think Bruce, that this is diesel's best match of all time?
1: Yep. I do.
0: Uh, Buffalo says this card has a lot of wrestlers who didn't stick around in the WWE. Most less than five years. Like Hakushi, Henry Godwin, public enemy. i Johnson, Savio Vega throw a bark gun in there too. Which of these wrestlers do you think could have stuck around and turned in a better WWE career? I guess in hindsight, when you see this list, forget the list that I just gave you, but you see this roster, do you look at one of those and say, man, what if not necessarily,
1: I I really don't. I think that, you know, there's an expiration date uh, a lot of times on talent and that some talent at a certain level just can't stick around forever.
0: Uh, Nick asks, Brett talks about in his book about Diesel stiffing him with one of those power bombs and growling something like, remember who did you the fucking favor? Do you know if this was ever discussed backstage, post-match, or something that came out years later?
1: I have no idea.
0: Uh, Willie Jakes wants to know, did any higher-ups know about Marty Jannetty and Candido's playing top-rope bomb spot? I, I guess the idea is when you have a, a high risk move like that, is this an ask forgiveness not permission type of deal?
1: Um, you know, guys, b- back in the day, the the way that y'all think matches are laid out, the way that they're laid out, you know, uh, going forward, guys didn't lay out every single move, and maybe they had that laid out as a finish, and maybe some people knew. But it wasn't a uh, move by move laid out. It's you, you had this thing, it's called working and you were able to go out and feel and listen to an audience and tell a story. And people that were good at their craft were able to go out and do that and improvise using the skills that they've learned over the years.
0: Justin asks, how are Brett and diesel's attitudes going into this match, working with each other? Was there any talk about turning Brett heel here? And trying to push diesel as an even bigger baby face.
1: No, there wasn't. And, and it was more along the lines of let's shake things up and do something different. And I don't think that anybody was really calling Brett winning this match. So from my vantage point, it was a good decision. Um, I don't think that Brett Hart and diesel were best buddies at this time by any stretch of the imagination, but I also, they worked together and they, they painted a beautiful picture
0: we know in february uh and in your house six there's going to be a story that comes out about the undertaker working with um or being involved in a circumstance with um, diesel and of course brett is working with diesel in that pay-per-view and and allegedly there were some hot exchanges and i wonder how much of that came from this story Big cow writes, Kevin Nash tells the story of meeting with Vince and being pitched a charity boxing match against Mike Tyson for an hour before Vince finally slid in. Oh, you're dropping the belt to bread at survivor series right at the end. Do you remember this story? I've never heard that story. No. When do you think, or when it's customary, is there a rule of thumb in this era? How would a guy in 95 find out you're not the guy anymore? We're taking the belt off of you.
1: It depends. And, and again, you know, it's, it's a talent's job every single night to do what you're asked to do. Win, lose, draw, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're asked to do. And, and that's your job. And I think that more than anything, it's courtesy to let people know ahead of time and, and things of that nature. But, um, you know, Vince isn't one to, Oh, by the way,
0: right. Jesse has an interesting hypothetical and maybe a somewhat difficult question to answer, but I kind of like it. And I think it's in the same vein as if you win the Royal Rumble, you get a title shot at WrestleMania. He says, Bruce, if you could change the survivor series to include stakes, what would you make stakes like title shots for the winners, better spots in the rumble kayfabe bonuses. It's an interesting idea.
1: It is. It's just a lot to explain. And I, I don't know how you would have made that in, into reality. And, and maybe there is something that could have worked off the top of my head. I, I don't know what that is. I, I do think that it is more important when you have stakes on things, but uh, in this particular situation, it was a novelty and it was a concept.
0: Lots of people pointed out that between the Goldust character, Diesel dropping a motherfucker on air, they've got the, the Clinton Sunny sexual innuendo. This feels like seeds of the Attitude Era. Watching it back, did you get that impression too that you know we're we're trying stuff that's not in our normal, more childlike presentation?
1: I think there were seeds of it, yes. And I think that it was was designed to be a little bit edgier.
0: At this point, who do you think uh Vince thought was his top performer, Brent Hart or Shawn Michaels? That comes to us from Dave.
1: I, uh, you know what? I mean, I really think that both guys were equal at this point and both tremendous performers. So th- they were both top guys. I don't know that one was any better than the other.
0: Realistically, who do you think had better matches with diesel Brett or Sean? Brett. Derek asked the question I've already asked before, uh, maybe two weeks ago when we were previewing the show, but I'll ask it again here for Derek. Were there any plans to keep the championship on diesel and have him defend it in a rematch with him and Sean at WrestleMania 12?
1: No, there were not.
0: So you already had in your mind, it's Brett and Sean. Did you think you knew the iron man stuff just yet? Or did you just know the names?
1: We knew the names and and it was actually Pat Patterson who pitched the iron man. Um, a little bit later, but I, I think that by this point we knew the names and look, shit can change on a dime.
0: Well, we hope it doesn't change next week because we're going to be back talking about Survivor Series 2005. This is from St. Louis. No, it's not. It's from Joe Louis Arena in Detroit. Easy for me to say. This is kind of a fun show because we've got Raw versus SmackDown. We've also got Teddy Long working with Eric Bischoff. John Cena is in there with Kurt Angle. Triple H working with Ric Flair. Trish is in there with Molina. Booker T is taking on Chris Benoit. A lot going on here in 2005. What might we talk about next week for Survivor Series 2005, Bruce?
1: Well, you know, I think that probably the best story on the show was Triple H and Flair. And just getting through that whole, the respect and kind of that, that childhood hero, you know, meeting him. To me, I think that was probably the best story of the night.
0: Well, I can't wait to break it down with you next week. By the way, if you've got a question for that show, you can ask it right now over at Pritchard Show on Twitter. Don't forget, you get all these shows early and ad-free over at adfreeshows.com, including our brand-new interview with Jim Hurd. Uh, and there's tons of new series, including the one that Bruce mentioned earlier, X-Ray with Dr. Tom. It drops on Monday night. Yeah, you know your favorite matches, but why are they your favorite matches? He breaks down all the psychology of that stay tuned we've got lots of fun new stuff we're dropping later this week over at adfreeshows.com until next time he is at bruce pritchard i am at hey hey it's conrad and we'll see you next week right here for survivor series 2005 on something to wrestle with bruce pritchard
1: rock on that
0: was a hell of a rant today brother
1: oh that guy fucking pisses me off
0: By the way, the best way to introduce something to wrestle to the wrestling fan in your life is to send them to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. Do us a favor. Go hit that subscribe button right now. You're going to sneak peek of upcoming episodes. Lots of fun clips to show your friends and maybe best of all, we have a ton of new giveaways headed your way over at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. Plus, we've got a ton of new gimmicks up at BoxOfGimmicks.com. For instance, we've got a lot of Dave Silva's cover arts on posters. There's lots of different ways to support the show and be a part of the ad free show community. Check them out right now at boxofgimmicks.com. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button over at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business he's in the love business this magnificent full 1 carat round brilliant cut diamond is only 31.98 real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive plus free shipping and 12 months interest free financing steven showroom is open by appointment only or go now to ihatestevensinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring steven singer jewelers real jewelry Real experts for your real love. That's I hate Steven Hey, real quick, before we get out of here, I want to remind you that we're making the impossible possible over at SavewithConrad.com. but don't take my word for it. Ask my man, Brian from Louisville, Kentucky. He saved a boatload of cash with SaveWithConrad.com, left us a five-star review and he had this to say, Conrad's team was able to get me an excellent rate on my mortgage, a competing company said it was impossible to get us this rate guess they were wrong. Thanks again for helping me save a lot of money. What are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. We're licensed in more than 40 states. It's no cost, no obligation. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. But maybe best of all, you don't need perfect credit to do this. But if you hurry right now, you're going to get the cash infusion you need just in time for the holidays. You get to skip your single biggest bill, your house payment, for two months, and we can even help you knock out your credit card debt. But most importantly, cut years off of your loan. It sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you right now at SaveWithConrad.com. And less number 65084, Equal Housing Lender, hurry to savewithconrad.com before it's too late.